I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. Paul Rubens died last week. He had an incredible life, an amazing career. He was on the gong show literally dozens of times. He was a legend in the comedy troupe The Groundlings. He was a gifted actor. But if you know Paul Rubens, it's probably because you know his greatest creation, Pee Wee Herman. Paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. <laughs> From MaximumFun.org and NPR, it's Bullseye. This week, from the archives, my conversation with Paul Rubens. Plus, Pee Wee Herman's conversation with his close personal friend, Charo. That's all coming up on Bullseye. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. So, right up top, I just want to say this. Pee Wee Herman was everything to me. I grew up with divorced parents. They split custody almost exactly 50-50, except that every Friday night I was with my mom. And so that meant every Saturday morning I was with her too. And every Saturday morning I got up, turned on the TV, and like almost every other kid, I watched the cartoons. And for the most part, Saturday morning cartoons in the late 1980s. We're not talking about art. We're talking about U.S. Acres, which I think was a farm where a talking egg lived. Honestly, that's about all I remember about U.S. Acres. While I was watching TV, my mom would be in another room reading or weaving. The Saturday morning stuff, it meant nothing to her. It's not that she was above it. Just, it just didn't mean anything to her. And so she'd do her own thing. Until Pee-wee's Playhouse came on. And then she'd come in and she'd sit with me. And when somebody on the show said the secret word, she'd scream real loud. We both would. That was for us. That was our thing. Those other shows that I watched on Saturday morning, some of them were awful. Some of them were fine. Probably there were a few that were even kind of good. I mean, maybe Muppet Babies? I can't remember. But the playhouse was special. Look, it's easy to say that Paul Rubens built a world around Pee Wee Herman because, I mean, he literally did. It's pretty close to a one-set show. Paul Rubens and his friends built it in a warehouse in New York City. But, you know... Other shows have their own world. Captain Kangaroo had its own world. Sesame Street has its own world. Denver the Last Dinosaur had its own world. But I mean, really, seriously, have you seen Pee-wee's Playhouse? I mean, right now I'm on Wikipedia. I'm looking at the Saturday morning TV lineup from 1990. And it's the Smurfs and Karate Kid, the cartoon show, and something called Captain N, the Game Master. No disrespect to ALF Tales or ALF the Animated Series, which apparently were two different shows, but Pee Wee Herman was the one who fell from space. 
When Pee-wee landed on HBO, he was trying to look up Miss Yvonne's skirt with a mirror on his shoe. It was weird, and by the time he made it to CBS on Saturday mornings, he was almost exactly the same? Completely out of control? Let me put it this way. My friend's mom told him that he was not allowed to watch Pee-wee, and this is a quote from her, because it was too weird. And you know what? I get it. More than anything else I have ever seen, Pee-wee Herman expressed the extraordinary possibilities of childhood, the absolute madness of childhood joy, the monstrous feelings, the capricious cruelty, the yelling. What I remember from my childhood is identifying with Pee-wee, laughing with Pee-wee, sharing secrets with him, making parfaits, but being terrified of Pee-wee, too. Pee-wee is weird. He's a jerk. He's your friend. He's mad. He's malicious. He's sweet. He's lonely and sad and angry and thrilling and delightful. He's everything all at once. Or at least, <laughs> at least in distressingly quick succession. Wherever Pee-wee was, there was a wild rumpus. And there I was with him, me and my mom. Of course, now I'm grown up. I'm a parent. Now I can read the tapestry of camp and irony and satire and sincerity that I could only, that I could only sort of feel as a kid. But those texts that Pee-wee made, they're no less vivid to me now. I watched Big Top Pee-wee the other day. Hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And honestly, I, I was worried it would, it would be no good with me as a grown-up, that it might lose some of the sheen that it had gained uh, in my memory. But nope, it rules. I mean, put on Pee-wee's Big Adventure right now. I have seen it a hundred times, and on viewing 101, I will laugh out loud a bunch of times. Besides just being great, how, how did Pee-wee shape me? I think it's something about his shamelessness. Not just giving permission to be weird or even encouragement. Not just the feeling that you could make your own way or be different. But the feeling that you should just make your own world. Your own crazy world, no permission, no hesitation, just run through the glass. That the greatest feeling in the world was raw, scary joy. I was in this recording studio when my friend Julia texted me. She used to be the producer of this show. She said Paul Rubens, the creator of Pee Wee Herman, had died of cancer. So, this show is a tribute to him. Actually, everything I've done in my career is a tribute to him, but this hour of Bullseye is in particular. Later on, we'll hear a bit of a Pee Wee Herman radio show that Julia and I produced with Paul a few years ago. It turned out to be the last time he ever performed the character. But first, an interview with Paul Rubens from our archives. 
Paul, welcome to Bullseye. It's so great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. You spent your teenage years in Sarasota, Florida, which besides being like a, you know, a nice, you know, retirement community type place is also the off-season home of Wrinkling Brothers? It was at the time I, I lived there, yes. So were, was that like part of your life as a kid and as a teenager that there was just circus stuff around? Yeah, there was there was circus stuff everywhere. There was circus stuff. Um, my high school had a circus. I think it's the only high school in the world with a, a full circus program. And uh, kids that you would have classes with, you know, for all, all year long that you, you wouldn't have any idea that they would be these circus stars. And then you'd go to the Sailor Circus. That's the name of the, the Sarasota High School Circus, the Sailor Circus. And uh, you'd go to the circus and see like a girl that sat in front of you or a guy who sat off to the side and they'd, they'd be wearing tights and they'd, they'd climb a web and, uh, and do a, a full-on flying act or walk a tightrope. It, it was absolutely incredible. And uh, when we first moved to Florida, there were circus people everywhere. We were walking around our, the block and the house we rented when we first moved there. And we, for weeks, had been hearing these explosions all day long and never knew what they were. And we walked by, my whole family was walking around the block one day and we heard the explosion and we saw a man shooting through the sky in between two houses. <laughs> and we, 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 we were later to find out it was the Zacchini family and they were shooting each other out of cannons in the backyard. <laughs> we had heard that for a couple of months and didn't know what it was. My sister and I, our first Halloween, uh, rang a doorbell and it was the Dahl family from the circus, a, a whole family of little people. And um, they said, come in, come in. And we went in their house and everything in their house was miniature and, and tiny. And it was a it was a weird thing to see as a kid. I, I'd never seen a, a little person before. I didn't even know. I, I knew it was, I knew it was somebody who was the same size as me, but they were old. That was. It was a. You could walk down the street or go into a market in Sarasota and go, regular person, regular person, circus, regular person, circus. You could just tell, you know. And and so it was. A, it was an incredibly exciting place uh, at the time and a cool place to to grow up. You know, I, for a lot of folks that I talk to for this show, one of the big challenges of their childhood was finding, you know, there was some turning point where they realized that becoming an artist or an entertainer was a real thing that real human beings did. And I, I imagine that growing up in a place where you know, there was uh, there was a shot out of Cannon's family down the block. Sort of blows that up. I mean, it's it's just sort of expected that entertaining is a thing that regular human beings get involved in, even if it's something as weird as that. Kind of. I I never thought of it like that. I I always thought of it more like there were. I mean, it did. There did seem to be a distinction between people who didn't perform. You know, the, the circus people, you could tell who they were, but 
all the rest of the people weren't performers. So it didn't really, it didn't, it didn't seem like that to me. It didn't occur to me the way you just put it. I, I knew I wanted to be an actor from before we moved to Florida. Um, and it was mostly from watching um, a couple of kid actors that I was obsessed, uh, obsessively jealous of. And, um, and, and watching children's TV and I love Lucy for some reason, Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball were like, yeah, that's what I want to do. What kid actors were you obsessively jealous of? Um, Moochie, who was also known as Kevin Corcoran, um, who was one of the big Disney stars. He was Toby Tyler and he was, uh, he co-starred with Haley Mills in, um, Pollyanna and he was in Swiss Family Robin. I mean, you know, he was the big boy star of my youth and of Disney. And then Ron Howard uh, was the other big one. The two of them just I, I would I would watch those shows or those movies and I would just be thinking, yeah, I could do, you know, I'm, I'm just as good as that. I could be as good as that. I even wrote uh, Walt Disney a letter when I was a kid <laughs> and said, you know, I'm just as good, if not better, than your current kid star, <laughs> Kevin Corcoran. <laughs> and waited by the mailbox for a response, which never came. It's funny because one of the storylines in Pee-wee's Big Adventure is Pee-wee essentially uh, stealing, the, stealing the spotlight from a kid actor on the, on the movie lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where, what you mean. <laughs> oh, I just I just wondered if if that ended up in the film partly because of uh partly because of that childhood dream of uh, uh of taking the place and taking someone's place in the Swiss Family Robinson. I you know what, if we got into that I might have to lay down to like tell you the rest of this stuff. You trained in the Groundlings in the 70s. And while you were training, um, one of the first big things that you did in show business was go on the gong show. And not just go on the gong show once, but go on the gong show a whole bunch of times. What was the first act that you brought to the gong show? Do you remember? Oh, absolutely. I um, I was on the gong show, I think, 15 times. And uh, you could go on the gong show... Uh, more than once if you were in a disguise like they you know it was a game show and it, w it wasn't rigged or anything but they did allow some people like there were there was sort of a small stable of comedian uh, people who I mean I, I partially was supported by Chuck Barris and the gong show for a couple of years and uh, the first I'd gone to Boston University for a year before I went to California Institute of the Arts a few of the people from Boston University I kept in touch with when I moved to California. And then there was kind of a trickle of those people. They, they all moved to California. Most of them, a lot of them, you know, if you're an actor and you get out of college, out of acting school, you're pretty much moving to New York or Los Angeles. So half the people moved to Los Angeles and the other half stayed, uh, went to New York. And uh, I got a call from a girl that I knew very well, one of my friends in Boston, and she said, one of uh, my best friends who came in the year after you just moved to California and she wanted to get your number. So I gave her my number and this girl called me and she said, I just was on the gong show and I joined the union 
and I, um, I almost won. And if I'd won, I would have made $500. And it was, I think, $238 to appear on the show, union scale wage. Uh, and she said, I want to do another act. And I was thinking maybe we could do some kind of a duo act. So her name was Charlotte McGinnis. And she and I uh, became a duo act called Betty and Eddie. And we wrote an act specifically for the gong show. And we went on and we did it. And we won. And I joined uh, AFTRA, the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. And that allowed me a year later to join the Screen Actors Guild. Um, it was a, a way in um, on something that was very difficult to do. A lot of people didn't have those opportunities. And, and uh, I made money. We won money. And then I got all kinds of uh, booby prizes. There were all kinds of uh, things that they would send you. And when the shows would rerun, they would send you a residual check and another prize so i would once in a while i'd get like uh one time i got a shrimp i got a uh, what was it it was some kind of cooker that came with a certificate for shrimp burgers (laughs) and i got a bowling ball um the groundlings the groundlings green room which didn't exist at a certain point but um one day we decided we were going to have a green room and we cleared a bunch of space backstage to make it. And then I had uh, two giant containers of green textured paint that I won on the gong show. And for, <laughs> for many years, the uh, green room in the Groundlings was courtesy of the gong show. I, I want to play a clip of you on the gong show. And this is you in a doubles act with John Paragon, who ended up becoming one of your collaborators on the Pee Wee Herman show and on uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, he played Jombie and also Terry. Um, and I think co-wrote the Pee Wee Herman show with you, if I'm remembering correctly. And this doubles, this doubles act is called Suave and Debonair. Let's take a listen. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Let us welcome, please, Suave and Debonair. Do it. Cross a puddle so you can cross it. We'll cut our hair for you to look like fair above it. We can make you laugh, just like a hyena. We cook our own caviar right down at the marina. Well, the kind of guys you'd like to take home to your mother. When you try one of us, you'll have to try the other. Watch the toes. We'll give you the top billing. I'll bake the Lascaux chilling. We'll take you if you're willing. Who just the thought is thrilling? We're in it. We're in it. We're in it. Swore that devil I'll tell you what's really interesting to me about the relationship between Pee-wee Herman and Pee-wee's Playhouse and the Gong Show and some of the stuff that you did on the Gong Show. It's that it's this kind of 50s and 60s culture that, you know, in the 70s and 80s was often being sent up. And 
what you're doing there and what you did with Pee Wee's Playhouse isn't really a send up. It's it's more like a what what if we did that thing that was so so straight in its time and just bent it around the corner a little bit, like made it a, a tribute, but a really weird tribute. I, I mean, I wonder if that was your intent or something that you were aware of. No, you know what? I, I, I was with you right up until the very, very last thing you said. Like, I, I never like, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to like get into a debate with you about whether it's weird or not. Like I've certainly heard the word weird applied to both the show and me and lots of other uh, uses of that. But I, I never look at it like that. I I never, we never tried to be, you know, a kid show, but, but weird, you know, it it just, uh, it, it's funny. I was just talking to some people who have a lounge, a fake lounge act and they were saying, you know, we're, we're starting to become what we parried parodied. And I, I had just seen their act and I didn't feel like that at all. I, I feel, feel like it's really about the commitment, you know, like I, I always feel like I, my commitment to Pee Wee Herman, I don't mean that the way it came out. I, I mean, the way that the concentration and the commitment required to be that character and to sort of stay in that character just makes it real to me. I guess I, I do agree. It was an homage in, in many ways. I mean, I, I loved all these all these kid shows that influenced me. And I tried to sort of mix ingredients from all of them into what I wound up doing. So it's kind of a throwback and it has lots of, of homage sort of elements to it. But I always considered it a full on real kid show, even though it had all this innuendo and adult humor in it. We did the same show in matinees for kids. So I always felt like, I, I took a lot of pride in being able to kind of figure out ways to do stuff that could be seen by kids and grownups and, uh, and two different audiences might, might pull two different things out of it, but, but it could be seen by the same group. I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, it seems like in order to be arch or to parody, you have to have a certain amount of remove from what you're doing. And it sounds like, you wanted Pee Wee to something that, to be something that you could invest your whole, you know, your whole heart into. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because I, I was you, the hair on the back of my neck just stood up when you said that a little bit. Although it's very short, um, was just because I, I don't. Yeah, I never viewed it like that. I always viewed it as I, you know, I'm, I'm just in it in the moment, and and I love what I'm doing so. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to describe it, I'm realizing. We've got to go to a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our tribute to the late Paul Rubens. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. You there. Have you considered listening to the Beef and Dairy Network, an award-winning comedy show in the form of a newsletter podcast for the beef and dairy industries? Well, maybe you should. And why don't you try our most recent episode, episode 99, which features American man Paul F. Tompkins playing Queen Elizabeth II's former personal beef sommelier. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and I laying on the floor of her bedroom, uh, just helplessly laughing till tears run down our faces as corgis are jumping on us, over us, licking us. That is a day that I will treasure forever until I am executed. Find the show at MaximumFun.org. I hope there's beef in heaven. 
Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're paying tribute to Paul Rubens. He was the creator and star of Pee-wee's Playhouse, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and a, a monumental influence to countless artists, creators, and comedians. Paul Rubens died July 31st of this year. He was 70 years old. In 2014, I was lucky enough to get to talk to Rubens about his life and about the development of Pee-wee Herman. Let's get back into the rest of our conversation. I want to play a clip from the Pee-wee Herman show. This is from the filmed version that ended up on Home Box Office. Um, yeah, it was a filmed version of the show that you had done in various theaters in L.A. In this scene, a character named Mailman Mike has given you as Pee-wee a package to bring to Jombie. And Jombie, for those folks who don't remember, um, by way of explanation, is a floating head inside of a box. Um, which is important to the scene. And also to know he's a genie. Yeah. Oh, look at those zombies' hands finally got here. Hands? Did somebody say hands? Sure did, zombie. Well, hand them over. <laughs> oh, gee, Pee Wee, I'm a little late for my break. Would you mind delivering these for me? Would I? Would I? Hey, Jambi, enjoy those hands, buddy. Hey, thanks, Blondie. Bye, Mailman Mike. Bye -bye. Hey, look, Jambi, here's your hands. I better open them for, for you because you don't have them yet. Right. <laughs> hey, cool. Caucasian. I sure hope they work, Pee-wee. The picture in the catalog was so small. Well, check them out, Jambi. Yeah, I will. I've had something I've wanted to do for a long time. <laughs> um... When did you when did you decide that Pee-wee the character would live outside of the world of the performances and that Paul Rubens the actor would become, you know, pretty much in, uh, invisible? Kind of right uh right around the time I really started to f focus on on Pee-wee um I think was when that happened. Um, I, I don't have a really strong recollection to the answer that, uh, but I'm going to guess that the, that that happened around the time I, I did not get on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and I panicked because I, at that point was sort of getting, getting written about and, and treated as an up and comer. You know, I was in like little blurbs of, um, you know, a little box in the, in the lower right-hand corner of a magazine page or something, you know, an up-and-comer person or a spotlight on or somebody to keep your eye on. And uh, and then I was kind of a shoe-in, according to some people, to be on the first season of SNL that was an all-new cast and the only season Lauren Michaels was not involved in. Um, it was the season of Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy. And... Uh, I was flown to New York and we, there were 22 finalists and I walked into the room. Prior to walking in the room, people were pulling me aside and saying, you should get an apartment. They never tell you till the last minute. And uh, I walked in the room and someone pulled me aside of the room and said, that guy over there is the producer's best friend. And I looked at the guy and it was Gilbert Gottfried. And I thought, 
there's no way it's going to be me and Gilbert Gottfried. We're the two like nerd guys in this room. It's me or him. And <clears throat> I just, I just had this strong feeling I, I wasn't going to get it. Um, I got on a plane and flew back to Los Angeles. And on the way to Los Angeles, I, I had kind of an epiphany and I just thought I better make something happen for myself, or I'm going to go directly from this up and comer catalog, uh, category to, you know, Hey, remember me, the up and comer guy, um, that never happened. So I felt like, uh, I needed to take some kind of control and I decided I was going to produce a stage show and what, what I called at the time a live pilot, because I didn't have any way at all in the universe to get a pilot deal to make a, make a television pilot. But I, I had, um, you know, a desire to, to work on television. So I, um, landed in LAX and got on a payphone at the curb and called my parents and borrowed $5,000. And probably six or eight days later, I had 15 or 20 people working, um, on, the beginning of the Pee Wee Herman show. Phil Hartman and I, uh, Phil was one of my closest friends in the Groundlings, and Phil and I met and talked about a, a kid show format and uh, him coming up with a, a salty sea captain character. I had had a, um, um, a salty sea captain local show in Florida growing up. And uh, I think that may have been the beginning of where that character came from, Captain Carl. And uh, we probably the second night of, of uh, meeting wrote a complete, wrote the scene uh, between Pee Wee and Captain Carl that remained in, in through the, uh, the development of the Pee Wee Herman show. And then um, we wrote the show. I imagine that part of... Uh, appearing in public and doing interviews and stuff as Pee-wee was because it made Pee-wee, you know, real and gave a kind of frisson to Pee-wee as a character. Oh, um, you know, you asked me that a minute ago and I didn't really answer that. You're asking me the same thing in a different way, I think, which is I, I, I was very influenced by conceptual and performance art, and I always felt like Pee Wee Herman had some strong elements of that. And what made it even more interesting to me is that no one knew that except me. I, I always felt like it was conceptual art, but um, no one knew it because I went out of my way to make people feel like Pee Wee was a real person. Um, so when you when you're talking about doing interviews, it was. I don't know where I came up with this or why I did it. It was just something that, that just was a gut feeling, I think, um, that Pee Wee Herman just worked way better as a real person, that if you were going, oh, that's an actor, it was very different than going, wow, that you know, who in the heck is that? Um, I One of my earliest things I did with Pee Wee Herman is I went on a cattle call audition for the dating game. Bachelor number two, I can't stand it when a guy's too easy. How are you going to make things tough for me? Well, for one thing, I'm going to wear a bodysuit underneath my clothes. <laughs> I think that's probably had something to do with the idea of staying in character all the time. Because to go out and go to an audition and walk in with that suit and bow tie and my hair slicked back and white shoes and... Uh, 
talk in that voice. And, you know, they said, sit down over here and please fill out this form. And the form was a, you know, what are your hobbies? That kind of thing. And I, I would write down, uh, I enjoy cleaning my room and going to the library and all this, you know, nerdy dorky stuff. And I could just tell that the people thought I was real and were, you know, acting one way to me, but thinking something else inside. And I, I knew I was going to get on the show before I got home. Bachelor number two, what's your best used line for your come on to any girl in a bar? Hi, baby. You know, I, I might not be old enough to drink, but you look like you're old enough to drink. Boy, I'm running away right now. That was a very powerful day on a lot of levels because I realized, I realized uh, kind of how, um, how powerful Pee Wee Herman could be. And, and conceptually, I just felt like that sort of cinched me staying in character, I think, because I, I spent a whole day doing it. Many, many years ago, I got a, the dreaded phone call that, that actor, most actors would not want to get, which is, uh, would you like to be on The Surreal Life? Um, and uh, I got, I, I'm going to, in full disclosure, tell you, I got that phone call three years in a row. <laughs> and uh, I always said no immediately, because to me, it was always kind of an acknowledgement of somewhere you were in your career that I didn't want to acknowledge. Um, but the third year that I got that call, I knew somehow part of the cast had already been announced. And I, I actually said to the producers of the show, if you guys would let me do it as Pee Wee Herman and stay in character the entire time and guarantee that my roommate would be Jose Canseco, who was, <laughs> who was already announced on the show, I, I'll do it because I felt like I knew I could really score big like that. I knew I could be really funny. I knew I could stay in character for six or eight weeks, you know, while the cameras were rolling. And I knew if I was rooming with Jose Canseco, there'd be some comedy. And uh, that was actually, they said no. And so I never did it. But that was the very beginning of me thinking about a reality show with Pee Wee Herman, which I almost did a couple years ago. And, uh, I still love that idea because <clears throat> we have so much reality television now that to do a reality television show starring a character that's not real seems very interesting because over the years, Pee Wee Herman's become real in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of unreal way. Um, and I, there were two incidents that shaped what I'm talking about. One is what I just told you about the surreal life. And the other is four years ago when I went to New York to uh, do my show on Broadway, I did a, uh, a full day of um, running around New York in my uh, Peewee outfit on uh, Foursquare, uh, which anyone who isn't familiar with Foursquare is um, – uh, a social media platform where you um, it's similar to Facebook and, and Twitter. You check in and you uh, you can see if you go into a restaurant, you can see who else is there and know, know things about people. And uh, I went all over. I went to 40 locations all over Manhattan from uh, Spanish Harlem. I rode on the subway. I was downtown. I played basketball on the Lower West Side. I, I was everywhere. And I, I checked in and told people where I was going to be. And uh, people met me there and followed me around. And everywhere I went in New York City, 
people were so um, not only warm and supportive and interested and nice, but everyone treated me like I was really Pee Wee Herman. And I was walking down the street up in uh, Harlem by the Apollo Theater, not to name drop, and um, a woman walked up to me on the sidewalk and went, Pee Wee baby, how are you doing? What are you doing here, honey? And I turned around, I heard, I heard people screaming my name. I looked, I turned around from this woman and there was a, behind me was a construction site and there were about 40 construction workers on the third floor all screaming down at me. Um, I, I made friends on the subway. Uh, I mean, everywhere I went, people were so nice and told me such interesting things and would say things to me like, Bibi, this is my wife. She's an incredible Italian cook. Would you ever consider coming over for dinner to our house? And I kept thinking, and I had a camera crew with me all day, and I kept thinking, boy, this is great footage we're getting of people. And I started to think, you know, if I if I took a camera crew and accepted some of these invitations I get, like go to dinner, um, go to this wedding, go to my reunion, come visit us out on this dude ranch, that I had a reality series. And uh, I was very excited about it, and then I, I couldn't I couldn't get anyone else to be as excited as I was, so... Didn't really happen. I got to tell you that I, you know, I went to see the Pee Wee Herman show in Los Angeles in 2010 or something. Um, and because I was among the group of people who had bought tickets for it before it was moved into a larger theater, you were nice enough to <laughs> come out. I know what you're going to say. Uh, you were nice enough to come out and do a, do a Q&A after the show. And, um, you know, watching that show, I, you know, I, I loved the show and laughed and just had a great time. And I also was uh, moved to tears by my connection with this character. Um, and I get the impression that when you sort of started to take steps to bring peewee back into public and and to come back into the public eye yourself you know about i guess about 10 years ago now maybe maybe a little bit more than that that maybe you didn't already know about how how much that character changed people's lives and how much it meant to people emotionally above and beyond just being something fun like you know, uh, whatever, uh, Mr. T or something like that. Well, now you're going to make, you're, you're going to make me emotional. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I didn't know that. So that was, that was a really interesting thing to learn. Um, and you could have way worse problems than that. That was a, that was a cool, that was a really cool thing to, to find out. It was, it was something that people told me once in a while, Back in the day, as we like to say now, uh, it was something I heard, you know, occasionally, but I was so busy doing it all and writing and that kind of stuff that I did. I wasn't really out and about much, so <clears throat> I never met kids. I never met grownups, parents. I never got all that, that feedback until way later. Um, and you're right. When it start, when I, when I started to, dis when I decided to, um, put that suit back on, I did really start to hear a lot of um, 
people talking about this, what you just said and how it affected them. And um, people have talked to me about their relationship with their parents. And uh, that's always, that's been a really incredible, interesting, very moving, um, satisfying thing for me. I, I had one kid, uh, one, one guy came up to me a couple of years ago and said to me, um, my parents were uh, divorced and I was with my father on the weekends. And the only thing we really had in common, the only time we ever connected at all and, and we connected in a really big way once a week was watching your show and talking about it afterwards. And that like made me feel great. I, I, I have to say what you're talking, this subject is, uh, I don't know if you can hear my voice quivering. It does make me kind of emotional, but in a, in a really great way, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, God, how lucky can somebody be to have, have that kind of, um, uh, effect on, on anybody, you know, much less more than one person. And, um, I'm somebody when I do go places, I quite often have people come up to me and say, I'm an artist because of you or, you know, something like staggering, something that, you know, you, I, I feel proud about and, and do and do feel emotional about in a, in a great way. I think one of the special things about Pee Wee as a character, especially for kids or, or for people who feel connected to their childhoods, is that. Pee-wee, you know, Pee-wee is kind of a self-interested jerk a lot of the times. Um, Click. And he's also a sort of a, you know, an open-hearted, wonder-eyed dreamer of the absolute best kind. And that is kind of an essential quality of childhood that rarely gets recognized in children's entertainment. You know, if you're lucky, you might you know, get I, the wonder. I'm sorry to... I have to interrupt you and just say one thing because I, I think you just you just clarified something for me that's never been really clear before. Which people always go, "What do you think is the attraction of Pee Wee Herman? Why do people like Pee Wee Herman?" And I I always I always say I have no idea, which is true. And I always go, I don't want to think about that because it's not fun for me. That takes all the fun out of what I do if I gotta sort of dissect it very much. And in a, in a kind way, I usually try to say to a journalist, like, that's your job, like, not my job. If that becomes my job, then I, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't like picking it apart or trying to figure it out. But I think you just came up with something very interesting that I never really thought about, is that I think most people have the same qualities you just discussed. Most people are dichotomies. Most people are, like, really nice, good-hearted, and snarky at the same time, I think. Um I think if we're really honest with ourselves, that 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 we all have those capacities. And I, you're absolutely right. I can't argue at all that Pee Wee Herman has like this this you know wonderful heart and is also like totally snarky and selfish. And um, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with you that those are that those are kid uh, things that that we can attribute to uh, kids. But I would also certainly argue, and I don't think you'd argue or anyone listening would, everyone listening would probably real uh, agree that, you know, we don't really grow out of that uh, when, we, when we get older, when we become adults and, and even older adults, we still have all that. I mean, maybe I'm not a good example because I'm Pee Wee Herman also, but 
I find myself all the time as as myself, as my adult, older self, feeling really righteous and great and sweet, and then you know, on a dime, I'm I'm a nightmare and uh, feel snarky and angry and uh, fed up with stuff. So I, I I think that that's that may be what what people like about Pee Wee Herman is that that's sort of you know worn on the sleeve. Well, Paul, I, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but I'm I'm so grateful that you uh, took the time to come on Bullseye. It was really great to get to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate everybody listening to me drone on about myself all this time. Well, I I appreciate the work that you've done. I certainly wouldn't be the, um, I certainly wouldn't be the person that I am today if, if it weren't for your work. So I, I, I thank you for that. Well, I don't know you well enough to know if that's a compliment or not, but um, <laughs> I, I'm going to take it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean like a mixed bag at best. Let's be honest. <laughs> My conversation with Paul Rubens from 2014. I honestly could not believe it when Julia Smith emailed me and told me that after years and years and years and years, I mean, at that point, 15, 12, 15 years of trying that we had finally booked Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman. And as I remember it, he was, he was in a hotel room somewhere. And we, we had sent a recordist to record his side of the conversation. And the interview kept getting pushed back in five-minute chunks as the recordist tried to get Paul to agree (laughs) to let him hold the microphone up in his face. He would keep hitting record and putting the mic up, and then Paul would be like, "Ah, get it out of my face, get it away from me. (laughs) Until finally, he had to record it (laughs) from behind a mountain of pillows, like, I don't know, 10 feet away or something. (laughs) And, uh... I don't know. Did it matter? We had to do a lot of post-processing on it to make it sound right. But that's just what Paul's deal was. He was persnickety about that kind of thing because he had earned it. And it was the persnickety-ness that had made him able to be Pee Wee Herman, create Pee Wee Herman, and not just that, but own Pee Wee Herman through his entire career. And of course, as uh, grumpy and persnickety as he was about having that microphone in his face, he was also extraordinarily patient and graceful and gracious with me in conversation. It was one of those times on this show when I got to do just the very thing that I dreamed of. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week, we're looking back on the life and work of Paul Rubens, the creator of Pee Wee Herman. Maybe you've seen a few episodes of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Maybe you watched Pee Wee's Big Adventure or Big Top Pee Wee when you were a kid. They're all great and weird and unforgettable. A few years back, for a holiday episode of this show, I recorded a tribute to another <laughs> indispensable part of the Pee Wee Herman oeuvre, the Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special. So I don't have a lot of holiday traditions personally. I mean, I love Christmas. 
I used to do it twice a year, once with dad and once with mom. It was great. Two trees, two sets of presents, two bottles of eggnog from Mitchell's ice cream. I just don't have a lot of special things that I do now as a grown-up. There is one, though. Every year, I make some time for the Pee-wee's Playhouse Christmas special. Oh, it's Christmas in the Playhouse And our hearts are all aglow As we welcome you to the Playhouse And to Pee-wee's Christmas special The Playhouse was a crazy postmodern version of mid-century America. Cowboys and puppets and hipster jazz bows. It's the perfect place to have a crazy Christmas. Something that celebrates warmth and giving and kindness, but is also completely insane. Like ice skating with Little Richard. Hi, Little Richard. How's it going? Happy week! <laughs> Great gosh almighty! Little Richard, are you all right? Oh, you know me, Pee-wee. Always fall down. But I get right back up and try again. If at first you don't succeed, you know what they say. You're trying, you're trying, you're trying. Ah! Except ice skating, I give up, I quit. And Pee-wee forcing Frankie and Annette Funicello into holiday decoration-making indentured servitude. (laughs) All right, I'm going to have to separate you two. Now get back to work. I need 500 of each of those by sundown. (laughs) 500? The call from Oprah. Hello? Hello? Pee-wee, is this you? Who wants to know? This is Oprah Winfrey. Hi. Hi. Hi! I just wanted to say Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, Oprah! I'm gonna have to call you back. I have dinosaur on the other line. <laughs> <laughs> There's even a part where a giant crate gets delivered from the North Pole, and inside is Grace Jones. Okay, Pee Wee. It's Grace Jones! Wait a minute. You're not the president. Pee-wee Herman. Duh! I mean, come on. It's easy to complain about how ridiculous Christmas is. Too commercial, too phony, too religious, not religious enough. But why not just celebrate? The holidays are great. Right in the depths of winter, there's some time where we've all agreed to think about what we're grateful for and do a little something nice for each other. We might as well have a few laughs along the way. So I say, thanks, Pee-wee, for 25 years of fun and friendship. Feliz Navidad. We'll hear the rest of Bullseye's tribute to Paul Rubens and Pee Wee Herman after a quick break. Be right back. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Jarrett Hill. And I'm Trayvon Anderson. And we want to know, have you ever had mixed feelings about the things that you love? Ooh, maybe about the things that you hate? 
then Fantai is the show for you. Fantai is the podcast for all those complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives. You might have conflicting feelings about Kamala Harris or mm-hmm. propaganda or mm-hmm. interracial friending. Mm-hmm. That's all right, because we do too. And we get into it every single Thursday. Catch this Slay Worthy audio at MaximumFun.org. That's MaximumFun.org slash Fanti. That's F-A-N-T-I. Come get all this good good. Or this great great. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, we're looking back on the life and work of Paul Rubens. Paul was the creator and star of Pee-wee's Playhouse. He played the character of Pee-wee Herman for over four decades, capturing the hearts and imaginations of millions of children. He died on July 31st after a six-year bout with cancer. He was 70. The last thing Paul ever did as Pee-wee was the Pee-wee Herman radio hour. So four or five years ago, I got a text message from my friend Nick White, who used to be the editor of this show. He was working at KCRW in Santa Monica, one of the big public radio stations here in L.A. And he said, Gary, the program director, is going to have a meeting with Pee Wee Herman. (laughs) And I'm telling him that if they get anything going, you have to be the producer. (laughs) And at the time, I just chose not to believe that it was real. (laughs) Like... I was like, nothing's going to, this meeting's not going to happen. If it happens, they're not going to get something going. If they get something going, I'm not going to get to be the producer. And I didn't believe that it was real until, I was going to say, until I sat down in a cafe with Gary and had a meeting with him and told him my ideas for what the show could be. And he said, yes, that sounds good. But even then, I didn't think it was real. And it turned out that it did happen. It took... Years and years. I hooked in my friend Julia Smith, who loves Pee Wee just as much as I do, and and who used to be the producer of this show back in the day. And uh, she and I worked on this show with Paul for, I mean, I looked at something like two or three years. And we came up with an idea for what it could be. Paul really wanted to be a radio DJ. (laughs) Like, I think that he would have been perfectly willing to just go into KCRW and play his favorite songs. Uh, But he also wanted to find a way to be Pee Wee Herman as a guy in his 60s who just didn't have it in him anymore to put on the makeup and the costume and try and figure out how to act like a nine-year-old boy when he was 65. And so we came up with this show where Pee Wee Herman takes over an hour at KCRW, says he's going to play his favorite songs, but all kinds of crazy Pee Wee's Playhouse things happen too. Like I said, this <laughs> this is certainly the longest I've ever worked on anything. <laughs> Especially one hour, because Paul was so monumentally careful about everything about Pee Wee Herman, this character that he had created and owned and protected from meddlers for decades. It was like pulling a plow through granite. But the whole time, not only was I just thinking, gosh, there's Paul Rubens. He created Pee Wee Herman, the most important thing to me ever. 
But Paul was extraordinarily gracious and charming and delightful. Even on round 7,342 of the edits, he was gracious and charming and delightful. He put my friend who edited the show through so much that he finally had to quit. And they still, like, texted each other afterwards. I mean, I don't know what to tell you about the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour. You can listen to the whole thing at KCRW.com. As far as I'm concerned, I've been working on Bullseye for 20 years. I've been doing my comedy shows for 15-ish years. If I died tomorrow because I got hit by a train and the death notice said, Jesse Thorne, colon, worked on a Pee Wee Herman thing one time, I'd be perfectly fine with that. So I'm going to play a little bit of it. Um... Just for context, uh, uh, Pee Wee Herman is hosting his own radio show. Um, he's just a sort of radio DJ, but the Playhouse gang are all there, Cherry and Miss Yvonne, and Jack White called in, the, the real Jack White. At one point, uh, Paul Rubens was just like, I could ask Jack White to call in. We're like, then I could do a thing about Jack White and Jack Black. And we're like, okay, yes, of course you should call them. Yes, please do. Of course. Um, anyway, uh, basically the premise is that, that, that Pee Wee's attention span is so short that he just pulls the needle off every record he starts playing um, and uh, just moves on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But uh, we have a real music guest in the studio on the show, um, and she, she was really in the studio on the show. It is one of the iconic... Pee Wee Herman friends. We couldn't believe that we got her to come in. Uh, the legendary Spanish guitarist and singer, Charo. My musical guest today is a Spanish-American actress, comedian, and virtuoso flamenco guitarist. She's known for her uninhibited and exuberant personality and her ostensible lack of fluency in English. Oh, and the catchphrase... Coochie Coochie, please welcome my friend and fellow artist, my special guest, Charo! Hola! You owe me a Coke. <laughs> you know, a lot of people would like to know, is Charo your stage name or is that your given name? My full name is longer than a serpentine. Mm, really? My full name is... Maria Rosario Pilar, Mercedes Baeza, Martínez Molina, Gutiérrez de los Perales Santana, Romanguera del Enojosa Rastén, at your service. Your passport probably has to fold out, right? <laughs> so do you have brothers and sisters, right? I have my sister, Carmen, that she loves you. More question? Yes. What would you have wanted to be if you didn't become a famous guitarist? Is there something else you might have been? Oh, yeah. I was in a Catholic convent. I was none in the morning, none in the afternoon, none in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really? picture you as a nun, really. No, it's yeah. hard. Oh, I, oh, oh, yeah. Can I talk? I don't know. Can you? <laughs> Are you impressed with my English? It's very good. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't realize you were even speaking English. You know, when I first met you, I had a lot of trouble understanding you. Now, 
We're going to open the phone lines right now and take the 15th caller. The 15th caller. Whoa, look at this. The switchboard is lighting up. Hello? Hello? Did I win? No, you're caller number one. Hello? Did I win? Nope. Call too soon. <laughs> Hello? Neither can I. You're caller number three. Mm, la 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 la. Mm, ooh. Hello? I've never won anything. Well, your streak is still alive. <laughs> Hello? Oh, I am so excited. Because you lost? <laughs> Hello? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I'm caller number seven, aren't I? Whoa, how did you know that? Hello? That's my name. Don't wear it out. Hello? Is this really happening? Me hanging up on you? Yes! <laughs> Hello? I won! Uh, how do I break this to you? Hello? Camping with Payway Herman? Is something you won't be doing. <laughs> Hello? Am I caller 15? No, caller 12. Bye-bye. Hello? I'm usually so unlucky. Well, your story checks out. Caller 13. <laughs> Hello? Did, did I win? You lost. Hello? Hello? Congratulations! You are caller 15! Who is calling? This is Derek Goff. Well, congratulations, Derek Goff. You are caller number 15, which means you have just won a no-expenses-paid camping trip with me, Pee-wee Herman. You're kidding me. See, Pee-wee Herman? <laughs> Why would I make that up? And if I did, wouldn't I pick a way bigger celebrity? Oh, I freaking love you, Pee-wee. Dang, this is so exciting. I haven't been camping in years. Well... We are going to have such a lovely time. This it's going to be really fun, Derek. Penitentiary. All calls are recorded. Uh, what was that? Sorry, that thing plays on all our calls. I'm in lockup right now. Oh, well, uh, I'm only free to do the camping trip next weekend. And if you're in prison, well, <laughs> I guess it just won't work out. No, 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 it will. I'm out in two days. How about that? After nine years, and I'm going camping with you. If you don't mind my asking, what are you in prison for? Armed robbery, breaking and entering, kidnapping. This call is from a federal penitentiary. All calls are recorded. But listen, when I tell you my real name, Pee-wee, you can look me up and read all about me. I'm super excited I'll be spending my very first night out of the joint with someone I think is so cute. Well... Let's get to our next song, shall we? <laughs> Sly and the Family Stone. My very first stage production, many of you may remember, many, 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 many years ago, included a musical salute to Mr. Sly Stone. That's how much I like him. Also, he created the R sound. <laughs> and now, Sly and the Family Stone with Dance to the Music.
That's a little bit from the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour from 2021. My friend Julia Smith and I produced that for KCRW in Santa Monica. Our thanks to KCRW for letting us play that on this show. Uh, You can listen to the whole thing at kcrw.com. Can I say, I can't tell you how surreal it is to be sitting in a radio studio listening to Charo and listening to, you know, Josh Myers do the other playhouse. I mean, the actual Miss Yvonne came in and gave Paul a big hug and sat down in front of me, gave me a big hug. Unbelievable, this experience. But probably the most unbelievable is when Charo came in, and um, apologies to Charo for uh, her doing a horrible impression of her voice, but she came in, and she saw Paul, and she said, <laughs> she said, Hello, Pee-wee! <laughs> and she went and she gave him a big hug. And then she turned to give me a hug, a person that she had never met in her life. And she goes, Pee-wee is not his name, but it's okay. I call him that. <laughs> and he just saw Paul, <laughs> Paul looking at her like, Yes, it's okay for Jaro to call me back. Um, I can't believe, I, I still can't believe I got to work on that. Look, this is the end of the show. Um, I can't believe that Paul is gone. I can't believe that we don't get to enjoy that anymore. Um, at least we still have the amazing, amazing things that he made. And, um, all I can say to him is not, not just for making the Pee Wee Herman radio hour or whatever, but for everything in my life. My whole career and a big chunk of who I am. Thank you, Paul. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. I'm actually headed to my cabin in the Southern Sierras, and I have Big Top Pee-wee, Pee-wee's Big Adventure in every episode of The Playhouse on VHS up there. So um, I think you know what I'll be doing with my kids for the next few days. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is composed and provided to us by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is by the Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation, thanks to them and to their label, Memphis Industries. Special thanks this week to Alex Kappelman for recording Paul's interview in his hotel room and for putting up with Paul hating microphones. Thanks to Nick White for editing that interview and for editing my tribute to the Pee Wee's Playhouse Christmas special. Also, thank you for uh, getting me that gig, making a radio show with Pee Wee Herman. 
Thanks to Julia Smith for producing those shows and uh, also for producing the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour with me along with Casey O'Brien and uh, Dave Shumka and countless others at Maximum Fun. Um, It was a lot of work. (laughs) And uh, we can all say for the rest of our lives we got to do that. Bullseye is on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Find us there. Follow us. We will share with you all of our interviews. You can hear the whole Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour at kcrw.com. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.